I'll be preaching from uh, Philippians chapter 3 today. I have a question uh, for us this morning, a question for us to consider. Have you ever felt distracted with yourself? What I mean is, is have you ever felt preoccupied with your own interests, preoccupied with your tasks, with your work, hobbies, blogs, if you do that, podcasts, news, you name it. We live in a digital age. Everything is just available to us. Everything is literally at our fingertips. And I really thought as we think about technology from like when I was a kid, that technology is supposed to make things easier. It's supposed to give us more time. But honestly, I've never felt busier in all of my life. If you're like me, I can easily fill up every second of every single day with something. I'm often preoccupied with myself, making much of myself or other things or other people. Politics fill our pages, our papers, our Twitter feeds. Pandemic fills our mental landscape. Materialism and online shopping has skyrocketed. All the while, we miss the very person who demands and is most precious, most valuable, most glorious of all creation, of all things, the sustainer and creator of the universe, the glorious one, our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I don't think that we are the only ones throughout Christian history who have been tempted to be distracted. I don't think we're the only Christians who struggle in these ways. You see, Paul writes this letter to Philippians in Philippi here in chapter 3. He, he writes to them because they're having trouble, or having difficulty making much of Christ. Instead, they're being tempted to put value or make much of themselves or of other things. It seems that they're being tempted by some Jews to place more worth on becoming Jewish and practicing Jewish customs, particularly the custom of circumcision, rather than valuing Christ and pressing in to knowing him. You know, these weren't just immature believers either. If we, if we remember about the timing of the writing of the letter of Philippians, these Christians were probably 10 to 12 years old at that point. If you remember, Paul goes to Philippi and he preaches on the banks there, the seller of purple. God opens her heart to believe. Lydia and her whole household is saved. And at some point later in that same time in Philippi, Paul is put in jail with Silas. And it's there in that night that they're singing hymns and spiritual songs and God does this miraculous work. And the Philippian jailer comes to them and they, he says that, that, that beautiful phrase, what must I do to be saved? And the Philippian jailer and again his whole household are saved and baptized. And there's a church there in Philippi. In 10 to 12 years later, Paul, from, from house arrest, he is writing back to them from Rome. And he's warning them here in the beginning of dangers of being distracted and reminding them of the glorious, surpassing worth of Jesus Christ in comparison to all the knockoffs that are out there in this world. You see, I don't, I don't think it matters how long we've been walking with Christ. It doesn't matter how mature that you think you are, how wise you might be, you are prone to distraction. You are prone to placing value on lesser things and making much of yourself or of other people, of other things, more than making much of knowing Christ and His surpassing worth. It's our temptation. 
So our question this morning is, how do we make much of Christ? How do we make much of him in this distracted digital age? Well, I think that by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul gives us the answer right here in Philippians chapter 3. An answer that is all the more pertinent in our distracted age, in particular in this season of pandemania, in quarantining, in isolation, when those distractions abound. So let's go to God, our Savior, for help in our time of need as we read from Philippians chapter 3. If you're not already there, turn to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to read from verses 7 through 16. Paul says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know Him in the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal it to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Before we dive into this text this morning, let me pray. Let me ask God to help us. Father, I don't want to be the one that people look at and hear from today. But I want it to be your Spirit speaking to us through your Word. Fill us with your Spirit to receive your Word today. Open our hearts to see Jesus in all of His glory, in His worth, in His value. Stir us up. Lord, stir us up as your church to love you, to know you, to desire to attain you, to possess you, because we have been possessed by Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here's the main idea. Here's, here's, the, here's what I see as the solution to this question. How do we make much of Christ in a distracted age when we're preoccupied with ourselves? The main idea, it's very simple. As I look at this chapter, chapter 3, how do we make much of Christ, is we press into the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Making much of Christ is not just going to happen one day. It's, we, we must pursue Him in our walk with Christ. We must press into knowing His surpassing worth. We must grow in our, uh, our affections, our love, our desire, our treasuring of Jesus. So the main idea for the title, I guess, if you're writing, is we must press into the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. And I think there are four parts to this section in, Ch in Philippians chapter 3 that Paul gives as an encouragement to the church in Philippi. So there are four points that I'm going to consider today with you. So I'm going to address all four of these points. I'm going to focus on two of them because two of them are in the heart of the text that we read together. So the four points, just for those, again, that are note takers, I'll state them up front so it's clear. Verses 1 through 3, first we need to be aware of our distractions. Verses 1 through 3, be aware of your distractions. Verses 4 through 11, see Jesus as your treasure. 
See Jesus as your treasure. Verses 12 through 16, make treasuring Jesus your lifelong endeavor. Make treasuring Jesus your lifelong endeavor. And the last one, verse 17, actually to chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus is enough even for us in our day. Jesus is enough even for us in our day. So let's pursue Christ in his word. First one, be aware of your distractions. Be aware of your distractions. You know, they say in counseling that half of the battle is knowing what the problem is to understanding what the problem is. Because in reality, I believe this is true, because if you think about it, if you don't know what a problem is in your life, in your car, and whatever, it's darn near impossible to fix that problem, isn't it? If you can't identify a problem, you cannot find a solution. So Paul seems to be making a point here. He's pointing out in these first three verses the problem. He's helping the Philippians to see. Look at with, look at with me in verse 1 and 2. He says, I write to write these things, same things to you is no trouble for me and it is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Apparently there were a group of people who likely called themselves Christians. I know they didn't use that term possibly at that time, but bear with me for our sake. They called themselves identifiers or followers of Jesus who were making much of themselves and their Jewish customs and particularly circumcision in order to be made right with God. And it appears from Paul's words in Philippians chapter, or, or sorry, three verse, verse three, that these people were putting confidence on the flesh because Paul says to them, contrasting to those who are blood-bought by Christ, who are born-again believers in the church, what does he say in verse three? He says, for we are the circumcision who worship in the spirit and glory in Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. It appears that these people that Paul is referencing in verse 2 were trying to convince these Greek Philippian Christians to put value on their works, on their rituals, on customs, and finding security in their flesh. Paul brings these things to their attention because he doesn't want them to be distracted. He doesn't want them to be deceived. These are distractions for what is most valuable. These are, these are things that are taking them away from what deserves all of their attention. So the point is, we must be aware of our distractions. What is it, think with me, what is it for you that is from the world or your flesh or the devil that tempts you? What is it that pulls your heart and your mind away from knowing Christ and his surpassing worth? What is that temptation for you? Our distractions and our preoccupations with ourselves are leading us to destruction. And we, we won't even know it. We don't even see it. Look at what Paul says at the, at the bookend as he frames up this passage in verse 18 and 19. So he starts with the problem and he ends with an illustration of the same warning in verse 18. He says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with their minds set on earthly things. These were possibly people who had worked in ministry with Paul that he is talking about now in verse 18. These are people that possibly shared the gospel alongside of Paul. These are people who studied the Bible possibly with Paul, people that attended church with Paul. And what does he say in verse 19? Now with tears, he says their end is destruction. Their minds are set on earthly things. This ought to shock us. 
Beware of your distractions, for they will lead us to destruction. I wonder if our, if our phones, for all the information that we possess in the palms of our hands, are more often taking us farther away from Christ than they are taking us towards enjoying Him. Pornography has captured the hearts of millions of men and women, even men and women who claim the name of Christ in our nation. In the South is the highest statistics of pornography used in the global South, which calls themselves the Bible Belt. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and our bottomless desire for information and gossip and entertainment occupies more of our mental capacity on a weekly basis than our personal time and devotion and prayer and Bible reading. Being distracted is setting your mind on earthly things, ballgames, movies, traveling, business. We are preoccupied with ourselves and we're leading ourselves to the slaughterhouse. So why are we so distracted? Honestly, I think it's because we, we put more value on being in the know, on looking like the smartest guy in the room, or being the funniest girl in the class, because we want happiness more than we want holiness. We want, we want to pursue pleasure more than we want to pursue the Prince of Peace. Ultimately, it's because we don't see the worth of Jesus Christ to us. So how do we take captive our wayward thinking? How do we value again that which is most valuable? Well, first, we become aware of our distractions. Number two, Paul says, and Paul says here, we need to see Jesus as our treasure. We need to see him for the treasure that he truly is. Jesus is worth more than our happiness. He's worth more than our accolades. He's worth more than our prestige, more than our time, more than our passions, more than our money. And we must believe this in order to really value him properly. I mean, have you guys ever watched, there's a show that, that was popular when I was younger. It's called uh, Antiques Roadshow. Ever heard of the Antiques Roadshow or even sort of like American Pickers? Um, Antiques Roadshow is you have these, these professionals who are well-educated and trained in, in valuing these rare heirlooms that people would bring in. They'd find in their attics and they would bring these heirlooms to them. And, and these professionals, they knew the history, they knew the materials, they knew the artists, and they would want to know the value of this object. And so these families would bring in their heirloom and they were hoping, waiting to see what the value of this was, what it would be assessed at. Can you imagine, though, if you took that professional out and you just pulled some random Joe off the street and you put him in the place of that assessor? What, what would he value those items that they were bringing in? He would have no understanding of the history, no understanding of the materials, no understanding of the artists. His, his valuing would, would simply be based on the aesthetics or his, his subjective feelings in the moment in which he's possessing that object. And the truth is, we can't value what we don't know. We can't value what we can't treasure what we don't know, what we don't understand. Look, look with me at verse 4. Paul gives a worldly perspective to contrast the worth of all that he has in comparison to the worth of Christ. It's, it's like he's a jeweler laying out a backdrop in which he's about to show you a diamond. And he's going to turn that diamond and contrast it to that black backdrop. You can't, we, need to, we need to see a contrast to something to really see the value of an object. So Paul says in verse 4, he says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, he wants to lay this backdrop. He says, if anyone, it's like he's saying, if anyone has reason for boasting in his accomplishments and his degrees, 
and putting value on other things and being distracted with himself, he says, I have more. He continues, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence of flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. From a Jewish and cultural perspective, Paul had every reason to make much of himself. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. He kept the law, a Pharisee of Pharisees, zealous and passionate about fighting heresy and correcting wrong. From the perspective of his Jewish culture, perfect, blameless. He had much to boast in and worked hard at accomplish, accomplishing these things. Everything a Jew could hope for as a young boy, Paul became that. He accomplished it. He could literally say, been there, done that, got the trophy, and I bet his mama was probably proud too. But listen, he says something that is shocking to a people who are tempted to put confidence in their flesh. To find their ultimate treasure in other things besides God. What does he say in verse 7? He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Did you catch it? He says, loss. Everything loss. Paul counts all of these things in comparison to the worth of knowing Christ as loss. Not just his religious accomplishments, the very things that the contemporaries at that time would have probably praised him for. Not only those things, but he says everything, everything as loss. So it's like he's saying, you think my heritage is everything? Jesus is more. You think my accolades and my degrees are everything? Jesus is more. And he counted it loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Anything else is misplaced value. Anything else is an unworthy endeavor. Anything else is a real distraction for a wasted life. You see, the distractions of our digital age market themselves in such a way that they make you feel like if you turn your eyes away from this ad or from this thing or this movie or this, this series for a second, you're going to miss something invaluable. They, 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 they make you think that you have to indulge at this pace or you're just going to miss out on some pleasure or on something new that you've never seen before. This is the way marketing works. This is what they're trying to get you to do is to zone in and to focus on. Media promises high value, high gains, and high rewards. But what does Paul say? He says it's loss. He has counted everything loss in comparison to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. And if it is not enough for him to say this, he says in verse 8, he says, For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. For you, may you might notice here in verse 8, there's a, there's a slight change in the voice of what's written here. His speech actually becomes passive. It starts in verse 8 as, I counted everything as, as loss, and it changes to, I have suffered the loss of all things. Not only has he willingly laid all things down, it was in his pursuit of Jesus that these things were taken from him. He lost all things by following Jesus. Both actively and passively, Paul says he suffered the loss or counted all things loss. You see, whenever he found Jesus on that road to Damascus and he began to preach Christ, he lost it all. Listen to the story from one of my friends in East Africa. He was telling me about his conversion when he left Islam and became a follower of Christ. He said he, he found a Bible 
And he began pursuing, reading this Bible, understanding he had so many questions. He knew of a Western man in his town that was a Christian. And he came to that Western man and he began asking him questions about the Bible and about faith. And it wasn't long before the Spirit of God seized him so tightly of the validity and the truth of the Scriptures that he believed on Jesus as his only hope and righteousness, and he couldn't keep quiet about it. A local terrorist group caught wind of him and started making calls to him and making threats on his life. As one night that he was eating dinner with his mother-in-law, she came after him with a knife and she said, Return to Islam or I will kill you. And my friend literally had to jump out the window to escape his mother-in-law that night. When I met him, he had fled to a neighboring country, leaving his wife and his children behind until a later date in which he could smuggle them out safely. He lost his job. He lost his honor. He lost his house. And he lost his family. Why? Because he found Jesus. His words, not mine. He says this, Jesus is worth it. I will never deny my Savior. Brothers and sisters, our friend saw Jesus as his treasure, worth more than all that he possessed, and he was willing to lose it all, to lay it all down for Christ's sake. You see, in the gospel, when we believe on Jesus, we become one with Christ. Because of his precious purifying blood and through the sacrifice of himself, he has brought us in by faith into communion with the God of the universe, the creator and sustainer of all things, into the family of God, adopted and made heirs to the promises of God. What we have in Christ, it pales in comparison to all that the world could possibly offer us. Paul says, in fact, it stinks. Look what he says at the end of verse 8. He says, it's rubbish. It's trash. It's human waste in comparison to knowing Christ. The gospel is precious. It's a gem, yet we lose sight of it. Day to day, if you're like me, we are just not enthralled by Jesus. We're not at all or wonderstruck by who he is. But Jesus said, the kingdom, is heaven, or the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field in which a man found and he covered up and he goes and he sells all of his, all that he has so that he goes and buys that field. Or again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and he sold all that he had so that he buys that one pearl. Friends, these are responses that one has when they see the worth of Jesus in comparison to all other things. The, we, those who realize what they have in Christ do crazy stuff in the world's eyes. Crazy people pack up and they move across the country to go and to grow and be mentored under godly men and women. Crazy people invest money in people and projects that will bring them zero earthly gain. Crazy people turn down high-paying jobs to take less honorable jobs in order to have more time to minister the Word of God. Crazy to those who don't see the worth of Jesus Christ. Look back at our text with me in the second part of verse 8. What was Paul's aim in losing all things? This is Paul still speaking of his own life as an example to imitate, which is what he's going to say later in verse 17. Look what he says in the second part of 8. He says, in order, in order that, the purpose statement, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, 
that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, that I may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Why does Paul count all things lost and worthless? He he says it in those purpose statements. I, I, I put that I may in there because he keeps saying may, 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 that I may gain Christ, be found in him, know him, share with him, attain him. What's Paul's aim? It's to make Christ his treasure. Simply put, Paul wants more of Jesus. He's found the worth of Christ, the value of Christ, and all he wants is more of Jesus. And did you see it? Again, those active and passive words, again, repeated in a different way. First, it was Paul counted all things of loss. Then he suffered the loss of all things by following Christ. Paul now says he works to gain Christ, yet he is found in Christ. He seeks to gain what he already has. Because he has it, he seeks to gain it. It's active and passive. He's doing it because it's already been done to him. And it would be easy here to see what Paul is saying and to focus on his effort and the effort that he's giving into following Jesus and to lose sight of his main purpose. Paul, I think, anticipates this in verse 9. It's like he's saying, look at verse 9. It's like he's saying, don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Brothers and sisters, our righteousness and our acceptance before God, the holy judge of all the cosmos, is not based on our pursuit of Jesus, not on our righteous achievements, not on our abilities, not on our uh, ability to clean up our outside and look good before all onlookers. No, by no means, absolutely not. Our acceptance and our acquittal of all charges for every sin that we have ever committed comes by faith in the completed, accomplished, and fulfilled life, death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? We have been clothed and covered and secured by His righteousness. We have been restored to our creative purpose in God because of Him, because of Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We have been given access to the One who is unapproachable who is thrice holy, more magnificent than our minds could ever conceive. And don't lose sight of this. This is what makes him so precious because he connects us to God, the person and the work of Jesus. Not our efforts, not our works. It's Jesus. And because Paul possesses Christ, he is willing to count other things as garbage in comparison to him. And now he pursues that which he has been, that which he has possessed by, by grace through faith with all energy and vigor and effort that he could possibly muster. Why? Because he wants to experience Christ more. He wants to know him more. He wants to taste and see and feel the one who is worth it all, his treasure. Brothers and sisters, when we see the worth of Jesus, you stop living family-centered lives, lives that, that focus on every ball game and every practice and every school event. And we start showing our kids where our real passion and our real center and our real treasure is, Christ-exalting lives, Christ-centered lives. And children, that might feel like suffering to you if your mom and dad take their focus off of you and turn it to Jesus, but it's not. It's not, because even for you, when you see the true value of Jesus Christ, you too will willingly lay aside your hopes and your dreams to possibly be some big star one day 
or to be famous one day, to go live and die obscure in some foreign land proclaiming the gospel to a people who have never heard of it before. Beloved, when we see the gospel's true value, we willingly pour ourselves out for one another, to care for one another, to sharpen one another, to keep one another from sin, to push one another towards Jesus, and to remind one another of this precious gospel in which we have believed, so that He might become greater and that we might become less. So how do we keep seeing Jesus as our treasure from day to day? How do we, how do we keep our eyes from growing dim to the glory of of our great God who saved us. Well, this is Paul's third point here. Make treasuring Jesus your lifelong endeavor. So first, we need to be aware of our distractions. Second, we must see Jesus as our treasure. And third, we must make treasuring Jesus our lifelong endeavor because it's not a sprint. Walking with Christ is a marathon. It's not a flash in the pan, but it's eternity with Him. See, Paul says in verse 12, go down with me to verse 12. He says, and so I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. The English translation, I think here, seems so light in my eyes as I read what it says, make it my own, press on. That same word that's used in the Greek for press on is actually the same word that he uses earlier in verse 6 when he's talking about his accomplishments in the flesh. If you remember, he says, as to zeal, he says, a persecutor of the church. That same word, to press on, is the same word for to persecute. It can also be translated to, to hunt down, to pursue with all haste. And then he says he presses on to do what? Verse 12. He says, to make it my own, because Jesus made me his own. It was in his relentless pursuit of pursuing followers of Jesus that he, was, that he actually found Jesus on that road to Damascus. Or better stated, Jesus found him. Jesus hunted him down. Jesus overtook him and seized a tight hold on him and made him his own. Those words, make it my own, can also be translated more forcefully. The translation could also read to seize tightly, to take hold of, to overtake. These are ferocious words. To give you a word picture, to think about this verse, think about a cheetah running on the savanna, chasing after a gazelle with all of his speed, all of his energy going after that gazelle to overtake it, to seize a tight hold on it, to bite down and to never let it go. And again, in verse 12, do you see another contrast of active and passive forms. He was seized by Jesus Christ, and now he seeks to seize Christ. So verse 12 could be translated this way. I press on, I hunt down, I persecute that I may seize a tight hold and overtake the one by which I was overtaken and seize with a tight hold. That is Christ Jesus. Complete overkill translation. But I want you to see what's going on here. I want you to see the passion and the drive behind what Paul is saying. In this way, Paul presses in and he pushes onward to take a tight hold of Jesus. Making our endeavor to treasure Christ in our digital age, it's more than a quiet time each day. It's more than checking off a prayer list. It's more than giving money to the poor one time a year around Christmas. It's more than coming to church each Sunday morning. Jesus is worth so much more. And he demands so much more of us. Verse 13 and 14. 
Paul says. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on for the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus isn't a side hustle, y'all. Time with him is not a block of your schedule. You can't just set aside a few moments of your day to spend with the king of the universe. He is an endeavor of a lifetime. All of our resources, all of our energy, all of our skills, all of us. Jesus demands it all. You may feel like as you hear and you, you hear what Paul is saying here and you look at these verses that you can't do this. That the bar is too high. That the cost is too great. And to that I would say, yes, you're right. We can't. We can't do this. It's easier for an, a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter into ke to heaven, Jesus says. And this is why this last point is so critical for us. Jesus is enough, even for us in our day. Jesus is enough. All you need to know is to feel your need of him, as the old song goes. He has the power to keep his own. And Paul ends in such a beautiful way in verses 20 and 21. If you scroll down there with me, Paul gives great hope to those who have been born again in Christ Jesus. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Amen. He will transform our lowly bodies. He will keep us to the end. And get this, the creator of all the universe who had all glory and honor and power willingly left heaven, laying aside those rights and those privileges, counting it all loss for the sake of his father and for your sake. He took on flesh. He became a man. He experienced pain and in, and, and, and our suffering in this broken and sin-raped world. And yet he lived perfectly obedient to God the Father without sin. Not only became a man, but he became a servant coming not to be served as a king, but to serve as a slave. And according to the will of the Father, He willingly suffered and even died for you, taking all of your sin, the deserved punishment for your and my rebellion on Himself as the innocent Lamb of God. He took the death sentence that you deserved, and He willingly poured out His life for the glory of God the Father to fulfill the purposes of God in you. But that's not all. In, bold, in power, he rose from the dead, defeating death, extinguishing Satan, removing the power of sin. And therefore, God has highly exalted and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. By faith, you can receive his life. Yours for His, so that when the Father looks at you, He no longer sees a child of wrath, but in Christ, a justified, adopted, redeemed child of God. And He doesn't leave us there as orphans, but gives us His Spirit. Jesus said, It would be better for me not to remain Jesus beside you, but my Spirit within you. And His Spirit guides us and convicts us of sin and leads us into all truth. 
And he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So I exhort you today, taste and see that the Lord is good. Come and drink from this fountain without money and without cost. This is the gift of God. If you have not, if, if, you, if you have put your hope and set your joy on anything other than this good news in which we see and hear here today, you've been deceived. You've been distracted. You've been preoccupied with lesser things. Anything other than this gospel might promise high to us, but it will not deliver. Behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See Him as treasure. Repent and turn away from your way and believe on Him. Cling to Him. Seize a tight hold to Him. Press into the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. He will take a tight hold of you. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. We know that it does not return to You void. We know that You produce and accomplish the purposes in which You attend. And I pray that, Lord God, You would help us to know our distractions. That You would help us to see Jesus in all treasure and worth and value that He is. Help us to walk with You in sweet, intimate fellowship day by day, making it our endeavor. An endeavor of a lifetime. And I pray that we would ultimately find our hope and trust and joy in resting in your accomplished work on the cross and in your resurrection, knowing that one day you will come again in glory. And with John we say, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.